teaching it. Our lectionary uh, readings have been in 1 Samuel, and I use it as an opportunity to hone in on uh, a subject that I believe is important. I enjoy teaching. Uh, we're going to talk about the three anointings of David, and I want you to see how uh, this can parallel our lives, and then it will bring us to Christ, and we'll, we'll take the Lord's table together, and we'll, we'll go from there. And so I'm anticipating God doing great things in your heart. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you just kind of a, a, a note, uh, I guess some uh, guidelines here. A lot of times I give three or four points. I have lots and lots of points today. So I'll put my points on my blog today or tomorrow, and you kind of have a blank sheet in the review. So um, lots and lots of points are going to be given today, but I think it's going to paint a picture, and, and the Lord's going to help us. 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, starting with verse 12. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So three times in scripture, David, who God chose, was anointed with physical oil. And this physical oil had a purpose. As we look into, uh, we, we look into uh, the Old Testament and what does oil mean and what does it represent? And it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But before today we're going to talk about one of those anointings, the first anointing. And the title of this message is, The Anointing is a Process. The anointing is a process. And I hope that as this teaching unfolds, you'll understand that title even more. We want to define what the word anointing is. And we want to find, see that even though David was anointed at three specific times, each one of those were markers in his spiritual journey. And perhaps it will help you on your journey. Now in the the Old Testament, we see here, and I'll give an overview of those three anointings. Uh, His first anointing was in anticipation of his rule. So so this is when, if you're familiar with the scripture, when the prophet Samuel came to all the brothers and, 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 and looked at all of Jesse's sons. And the Lord said, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. And Samuel said, well, I thought I heard from God. I thought one of your sons was the chosen one. They said, oh, yeah, there's still David. He's out there. Uh, he's, he's being a shepherd right now. We'll bring him in. And the Holy Spirit said, that's the one. That's the one. It, it's really interesting that if, when, when, when we appoint people into leadership, into spiritual leadership, you know, you look at all the different factors that matter, their experience, and a lot of times, uh, you know, organizations today use personality tests, and the church is starting to use that. I'm talking about the church in general, uh, use personality tests and look at compatibility. All those things are important and valuable and are part of the process, but somewhere the Holy Spirit says, he's the one. 
The Holy Spirit said she's the one. And, and this is why, uh, as people of prayer, when it comes to choosing leaders, we have to be people of prayer. Jesus spent all night praying when he chose the disciples. So we don't rely only on human uh, techniques, those, those, those are gifts from the Father. But we pray, and the Holy Spirit says, this one's the one. That one is the one. That person is the one that I've chosen. A, a, a pastor friend of mine who, who I admire told about in the early 90s when he was picking an associate pastor and got resumes from all over the country and all the different people in the church who uh, had input. You know, they gave their opinion, they gave their perspective. And finally, on his kitchen table, he put out all the resumes and began to pray. Think about that. Holy Spirit began to speak, and the Holy Spirit said, that's the one. That's the one. And that particular staff member became one of the most valuable team members uh, for that church. So we see that, that, back to that slide, David's first anointing was in anticipation of his role, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, and then if the Lord wants us to, we'll go on and talk about the second and third next week. The second was the acknowledgement of his rule over Judah, which is one tribe and was a southern kingdom. And so through Israel's history, there was a split between the north and the south. So David first started with the southern kingdom, and Judah only acknowledged his leadership. And then there was a third anointing, which was an acknowledgement of his rule over the entire people. It's interesting that God knew who was anointed and knew who was chosen first. It just took the people a while to catch up with God. Isn't that what usually happens? It takes us a little bit of time to understand and discern the will of God and to catch up with God. So in the, in the Old Testament, the anointing was used in different ways. And I'm going to give you five of these very quickly. The anointing was used, um, the oil was put on religious artifacts to say, okay, this is part of our worship and this is special, especially with people who worshiped in one particular place, the temple, the, the, the tabernacle first, and then the temple. And so now we know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have holy places, we have holy people. We have special places, significant places. I, I plan to go to Jerusalem sometime in the next five years if the Lord allows me to. And some of you have been there. That, that those, it's special to go to Jerusalem. Uh, when I've been to London, I, I find London a very special place uh, where, where uh, leaders of the faith like John Wesley were converted and changed the world. And those places are special and you can even feel more, uh, be, be more spiritually aware in those places. But, but now we know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the marking of the Holy Spirit's on us. But in the Old Testament, religious artifacts were set aside as special. Now, guys, if you don't know this, I love these tables up here. Okay, they, they, these are really special to me. Um, Pastor Aubrey made these and Pastor Deborah and I kind of, designed those with him. The three of us worked together on this and there's a special story behind these tables. And, and, and um, I preached a whole sermon on these tables one time. So what, what happens is, and this is a little bit of maybe some therapy for me. I have some OCD ways. I, I love, you know, our worship team. They're, they're awesome. I mean, 
I mean, our sound, our sound guys, our media guys, I particularly like our worship leader because she's my wife who just sat down. And, and so I'm here with them getting ready for service. And it just, the table's kind of become this convenient place to like put cords and mics and then water bottles and cups. And, and I, just, I just have moments of challenge with those. Because I don't want to be the, the old guy who says, don't walk on my lawn, right? Which that's a very relevant story because there's some lady in our neighborhood who keeps walking through our yard. It happened last night, didn't it? She was coming through our yard. I said, I said Beth, the lady's back in our yard. And I opened the windows and then she peered in and looked Beth in the eye. It's really weird. So... For the, for the glory of this church and the reputation of this church, I'm not going to chew out the lady who walks through my yard, okay? And to the worship team that I love, your water bottles and coffee cups, just, okay, all right, purses. So every week I go back to Hebrews, and I tell myself that, that the book of Hebrews tells us that artifacts aren't special anymore, people are, right? So biblically, I just want to say biblically, there's nothing wrong with putting a water bottle on the communion table. I just don't like it. <laughs> so the anointing also, we'll keep this side up, it's set apart priest. Um, and so we know Psalm 133 is one of uh, the most poetic scriptures where it talks about it's great when people are in unity because it's like the oil running down Aaron's head and running and dripping down on his beard. And so... We see that when a priest was anointed, it wasn't just a dad. They just poured that anointing on him and it just drenched down and it was just a sign. The Holy Spirit has designated this priest. It empowered and set in order kings. And this is certainly what was happening uh, with David and all three of the anointings we're going to look at. And four, the moving of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in today's scripture, that when the anointing came, so did the Holy Spirit. The oil was symbolic of the Spirit. The oil was symbolic of what the Spirit was doing. And then the distinguishing of a prophet. So here's the question, because I want you to understand the title. What is the anointing? All right, what is the anointing? It seems like a complicated question. It's pretty simple. The anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. The anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was, even in the Old Testament, moving through special artifacts set apart for, and, and special places set apart for worship and set apart for the glory of God. It was moving through special kings and prophets and people. And the Holy Spirit was moving in certain ways. And now, for every single Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Every single Christian. So God has given me a unique assignment and he's given other people unique assignments, but we don't have more of the Holy Spirit than anyone else. Um, all of us have the Holy Spirit. So you are anointed, all right? You are anointed. Some of you that doesn't feel right because all of a sudden you become either consciously or maybe it's even subconsciously aware of your weaknesses and aware of your, your um, poor choices and aware of maybe some habits that have become besetting sins in your life. And you're like, well, I'm not anointed, but God says you are anointed because he anoints not perfect vessels. He anoints chosen vessels. This is part of the grace that we have. God has chosen you. And the very fact that you've gone to the communion table or you've raised your hand in a service or you've walked the aisle at an evangelistic crusade or you've acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord means that you are chosen, filled with the spirit and anointed. 
And Satan wants to repress that in your life. That's a message that he doesn't want you to live, believe, uh, or he doesn't want that to be part of who you are. But the reason we have regular worship and small groups and devotional time is because we have to keep being reminded of who God said we are because the enemy wants to accuse us. I loved what Beth said today. What a great reminder how how uh, we often, our hearts stray, and even mentally, we think we don't belong to the Lord, but we have to rest with the Lord and come back home. Let him come back home to realize that we are anointed of him. I, I like R.T. Kendall's explanation of this. R.T. preached at our church years ago, and he's an international speaker. This quote, he says, the person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is able to do extraordinary things, but to him, it seems quite natural. The anointing leads to what is good. It blesses and encourages others, and its function is carried out with ease and without strain or fatigue. It's also self-edifying. So when God anoints you, there, there may be a learning curve, and certainly I hope that, that, that as we get experience, we improve in things. But when God anoints you to do something, it just isn't that hard. Okay? Now, I can only talk about my gifts, and I don't want it to sound braggadocious, or I don't want to sound prideful or, or whatever, but I, it's just like this morning preaching. This, this isn't hard for me. Okay? I don't usually like to preach on the back end of a vacation. I got home from my vacation late Thursday night. Typically, I don't preach on the back end, but because of Costa Rica and because of the TSSAA dead period where we all have to take vacation at the same time if you have kids who play sports, it, I was it. I was the only one, you know, you guys had to have me preach this week. And it just isn't hard. I mean, I'm not trying, to, again, to, to brag. Maybe you think I'm not good. Maybe you think it should be harder. You need to improve. <laughs> but based off the premise that I'm doing a pretty good job right now, it just, it just isn't hard. It just, it just isn't hard. It isn't hard for me to write sermons. Sermons come very quick to me. Is it hard for me to preach sermons? I can tell you this. I've been preaching for 23 years, and I can only think of three times in 23 years I've ever been nervous speaking. I can name those three times right now. And those were circumstantial issues. So the deal is, it's just this is what God has anointed me to do. If, if I start really preaching bad, then maybe the anointing is left someday. <laughs> but it's not hard. So, so for some of you, just... Just what you do, it's just, it's just natural. It's just natural. Those of you, those of you who, who are called to, to serve, I mean, some of you just, I guess we are all called to serve, and I'm called to serve too, but when, when, when that is your gift, some of you just like, you cannot help but serving. You cannot be in a building, and if there's a table that needs to be put up or something needs to be swept up or someone needs uh, directions, you have to do it. It's like you, you can't function if, if there's something that needs to be done because you want to serve. This is part of your anointing. And that's why we have to nurture that. And what happens is this. If, if we're not walking in God's presence, the very thing we're called to do will begin to resent and listen, when there, when there's times if I'm like, man, I just, I'm sick of preaching. I'm tired of preaching, you know, all that. I, I'm probably not praying. Probably not praying because what we're anointed to do, it just, it just goes. The other thing I'm anointed to do is to lead. So it's hard for me to sit in meetings that either I'm not in charge of or I'm not giving my opinion at. That's why I don't go to a lot of meetings. And I know that, that, that in, in a way that sounds egotistical, but I don't want it to sound that way. I, I'm just telling you, it's just, it's just 
It's just easy. It's just easy. Just, just let's move the agenda along. Let's get, let's get the, let's come to the conclusion. Let's not talk this to death. Let's get it going. This is part of the, this is part of, it just happens with ease. Now here's the key that I love RT's definition and it blesses people. It blesses people. It's like, I would want people to, to enjoy and to the body, the group to benefit from the gift. This is part of the anointing. So it's what you're good at. It what, it's what blesses others. And David, David was anointed and it's easy for us to see in 2020 hindsight that God had specifically prepared him. We know this from the text to become king. What he did as a shepherd. Don't we see that now? We see the great parallels between shepherding and leading. What he did to conquer the, the, the lion and the, the bear and, and to be victorious. Uh, what he did to usher in the presence of God through singing. This was all part of the preparation. So here's some characteristics of David's first anointing that I think is going to bless you. And I still have a lot of points to give. And so don't be nervous because I believe in punctuality. I believe punctuality is of God, especially when there's a 1045 service. I'm forced to be punctual. All right. What, what happens in the first anointing is your anointing is given by God, but then slowly discovered by others. I want you to think about that. A lot of times you know that you're called to do something, but just because you know it and God's spoken it doesn't mean everyone recognizes it immediately. And that can be a very painful process. And that can be a, very much a time of testing. Let's look at the scripture again. We read it earlier, but I, I, I think further examination is helpful. Verse 12. So he sent and had him brought in. This is David. He was Rudy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Other versions said, he is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now the rest of verse 13, I, I, I took it out for the sake of brevity on the slide, but I wish I would have kept it in because guess what happened after Samuel anointed him? He took off. The man of God came <clears throat> and anointed David and said, you're the one, you're it, you're the king, see you later. Sometimes that's what it feels like to us when we begin to have dreams and we begin to see possibilities and we begin to see what God can do through us and, and we kind of get this sense of calling and the sense of, of, of burden and the sense of uh, God's approval in our life and then no one else recognizes it for a season. And what I see a lot working, and I won't say with young leaders, inexperienced leaders, because sometimes these are people older than me, is that people who are interested in being used by God in a certain area or in a certain way become impatient with the process. But I want to tell you is that the times that you are hidden and the times when other people don't recognize God's call on your life, even though it's can be a painful time and a difficult time and a hard time. It's actually part of God's process and it's actually a very good thing for you. It's a very good thing. In the year 2000, when I was part of a church plant team, Hope Fellowship in Frisco, in that first year, we, 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 uh, you know, we didn't break 100 people for nine months, didn't break two, 200 people for two years, two and a half years. 
Uh, and I did many things at that church, but one of the things I did was a youth pastor. It wasn't my only position, but it was one of the things I did. And I took our youth group to youth camp in the summer of 2000, and I took three kids. And that's not really a group, that's a trio. And those three kids were three girls. So I wasn't even in their cabin. And at that point in my ministry, I was used to, to, to the, the previous church. I had dealt with hundreds of kids, many, many dozens of kids. And that particular summer at camp, it's like I felt all this stuff that's in me now, this, this gift to lead, this gift to speak. And I was at this camp where nobody knew, knew who I was, and the kids didn't even know who I was, didn't even see the three girls that I took. And, you know, it felt painful, but it was a good hiddenness. It was a good hiddenness. It gave me a chance to serve. It gave me a chance to be anonymous. It gave me a chance to let God season me and humble me in a good way, in a correct way. And so I just want to say this is if you have a gift in your life that you feel like people have not recognized yet, don't give up. Don't give up easily. Don't give up too soon. And also, don't idolize the group that you're in today because maybe God has a different group for you. The Lord did not give me favor with certain people in certain times of my life that was hurtful to me. And I'm so glad now I did not have favor with them because I wouldn't be who I believe God wants me to be today. Because favor is not just about everyone liking you. Favor is God giving you um, blessing and favor with the right people. So good people who you admire, you may not have favor with, and they're not bad and you're not doing anything wrong. God just is not in that relationship. Are you, are you hearing me in this? So, so it's okay. It goes back to trust, right? That God is in this. And so that's what happened to David. David got the spectacular call. He got the oil. He got the prophet, and then he was sent right back to shepherding. Sent right back to anonymity. Sent right back to not being recognized because God had a plan. But then here's some things happen. I'm going to give you five things in about five minutes. You ready? All right. One is God opens an unexpected door. God opens an unexpected door. Look at verse 17 of 1 Samuel 16. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Now, this is the need at that time was for a musician. And you only need a musician who knows how to play. And a musician, a musician can only play if they practice. Your preparation today is your preparation today is preparing you for an unexpected opportunity tomorrow. There is no wasted time in preparation. The old humanistic saying that means a lot to me, this is not God's word, but this is a, this is a saying that has really guided my life. It is better to be prepared for an opportunity that never comes than to have an opportunity come and not be prepared. That little slogan has impacted my life uh, very highly. I'm gonna say it again. 
It's better to be prepared for an opportunity that never comes than to have an opportunity come and not be prepared. Saul needed somebody. And David's preparation and even his hiddenness opened a door that was unexpected for him. David said, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And I just believe that's a, this is a joke now. That's a prophetic word for the church music. We need people who play well, don't we? Amen? Amen. You're so nice as a worship leader. You're so nice. But we only need people who play well. And I can make that joke because our guys and gals play well, right? Okay. Focus. All right. You guys don't find me funny today. Verse 18. This is one of the sermons where Beth's going to go, yeah, it was a good sermon, but you were just a little cocky up there. <laughs> That's why I need, I need my partner in ministry there. Verse 18. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. I want you to see some characteristics there. He was skillful in music, but he was known as being a man of valor, and he was known as being brave or being a man of war, and the ESV says. He was prudent in speech, meaning he was disciplined with his mouth, and the Spirit of God is with him. Guys, listen. Gals, listen, these are things we can work out today. You may not have an opportunity. You may not be recognized. You may feel hidden, but there is something you can do. You can seek the Lord. You can clean up your language. You can be courageous in the face of fear. Don't worry about what's going to happen or how you're gonna make an opportunity open. You worry about who you are, not what's going to happen to you. If you worry about who you are and the type of person you're becoming, God's gonna open a great, great door for you. He's gonna open a door that's unexpected. And let me tell you something, God has surprises for you. I'm telling you, God has things you cannot imagine right now. Sometimes what we think is faith is vain imagination. We're trying to uh, create the future with our own mind when God says, why don't you just let me work on your character? Let me work on who you are and I'll take care of where you'll go and what you'll do. So this anxiety that we carry out, like I'm overlooked and I, you know, this kind of, oh, pity is me, I didn't get that break, or I didn't have the right connections, or I didn't come from the right kind of family, or I, didn't, I, I wasn't born at the right time or had the right opportunity. All of those things, oh, those are reasonings from the world. And the Lord says, you begin to play that harp, you begin to fight the lion, you begin to fight the bear. Even if no one sees you kill the lion, no one sees you kill, kill the bear now, you keep fighting, you be a person of valor, you be a person who, who is courageous, and you be a person who the presence of the Lord rest upon and then when you least suspect it an opportunity is going to come that you never could have imagined it's going to be bigger than life for you and it's going to be for the glory of God and for his presence second thing a defining victory occurs and this is number two if you can put that down a defining victory and this is David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 so I won't talk about that I think you know God helped David miraculously kill the giant. Pastor Deborah talked about that in, in her wonderful sermon two weeks ago. Then number three, is this what happens? This is a great test after a defining victory. Your gift is discovered. So this is where we have to have the character to hold the charisma. 
A lot of us uh, have talent and we develop ta- a talent in isolation and we develop skills when no one's watching. But as soon as a, a defining victory occurs, we can't handle the popularity. We can't handle the acclaim. We can't handle the recognition because it takes us to a sinful place. So what happens here in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 18, and when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, Goliath, the women uh, came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. This was like the popular top ten hit of the day. And that's pretty cool if you saw at first, like, oh man, I've slain my thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands, ten times, ten times the recognition of the king, ten times the favor, ten times the adulation. And this is a place of great testing. A great, uh, and, and a lot of men and women fall right here on their own because of pride. Go be humble before the Lord. Be humble before the Lord. This is how you're humble before the Lord. Not through false humility, because false humility is when you try to act like you're humble. Humility comes through prayer. Really, prayer is the, the, the greatest expression of humility because prayer actually means you think you can't do it without God. You know, I can, I can try to act humble around you because I want you to think that I'm humble because humble humility is a, a desired quality in a leader. But that's not humility. Humility is, do I pray? Because if I'm not praying, and if you're not praying, we, then we really think we can do things without God. So the greatest test of humility is our prayer life. And that's why I'm, I really haven't been a humble leader most of my ministry. People have told me I'm humble. And that made me feel good. But then I realized that a lot of my ministry I've done without prayer. I've done only through experience, only through intuition, only through natural giftings. But the Lord has been changing that these last few years. And I'm praying, I'm not praying as much as, well, I'll never pray as much as I want to. Even Billy Graham said, you know, his greatest regrets in life was that he didn't spend time with his family and he didn't pray. I say that out of honor to him, not out of, not, not to make him look bad, but because he's an honorable man Wisdom cries out from ancestors now. Wisdom cry, cries out from the cloud of witnesses. So then this is what happens. Number three, your gift is this. Oh, you're, I already said that. Number four is this. You become a target. After your gift is discovered, not everybody wants you to advance. Not everybody wants you to succeed. Not everybody wants you to move into places of leadership. Not everyone wants you to have the consequences of leadership. Because, you know, when you lead, you have less rights. Not everybody wants you to succeed. One of the greatest challenges of the New Testament is when the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. We get the mourn with those who mourn part. That's important too. But rejoice with those who rejoice. Can you really be excited when people actually succeed more than you do? That's a test of humility too. And so here we are. You become a target. Now we'll look at the scripture as we're moving towards closing. Verse six of chapter 18. Saul was very angry. What was he angry at? This is verse six. 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. He was very angry at that song. He was very angry at that song. Um, do we have that scripture up there? Thank you. When, uh, this is 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. Maybe it's not up there. It says, Saul was very angry. And, and then he, he said, uh, 
They have credited David with tens of thousands, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Now, according to my notes, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10 and 11. Chapter 18, verse 10 and 11. Here we go. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. This Holy Spirit had rushed upon David. Now, a spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. David became an actual physical target. And when the power of God starts working through, through men and women of God, when success from the Lord comes in humility, not everyone celebrates that. And then often we become a target. Here's number five, the last, the last point of today. Then you are tested with power. You're tested with power. You may not have passed number three, right? The, the original test of adulation. But then now, how do you respond with power in your life? How do you respond with power in your life? I'm gonna invite our ushers to begin to prepare as I kind of close up this point. One of the great ways we're tested with power is how we treat the generation before us. And so now, all through 1 Samuel chapter 19 through 31. Chapter 19 through 31 was all about David's interaction with Saul who had tried to kill him. And I want to give you one little sample of this in chapter 24, starting with verse one. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, uh, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfold by that way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave. This is like an opportune time for David to kill him. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give you your enemies into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had not cut off, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Here often the test of spiritual power is how the previous generation is treated and how the previous leadership is treated. And so the Lord, if he's given you power, if he's given you authority, if he's given you a position in your business, uh, if he's given you a place of authority in the school that you work at, you, you have to be very careful how you, how you treat previous leadership and treat them honorably because it's a way that you handle power differently than the world handles power.